The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. Tom Hanks wanted was a quiet vacation at home. This is what I need, Carol. I, I need this. Welcome to Mayfield Place. A typical street in the burbs. Morning, Walter! Where nothing much ever happened. Walter's dog just took a dump on Rumsfield's lawn again. Until the Clopex moved in. Clopex? Clopex. Clopex. No one goes in, no one comes out. Neighbors from hell. It was a nice place to live. He said he thinks the Clopex are evil incarnate. Well, you're much too smart to fall for that, aren't you, honey? But now... Carol! You wouldn't want to visit there. Ray, this is Walter. No! The Burbs. I'm going over the fence, and I'm not coming back till I find a dead body. Do you want him to take your family, kidnap them, tear their livers out, and make some kind of satanic pate? We found Walter! We got a real problem. I hit the gaslight, I'd run! God, I love this street. Tom Hanks. I think we are overreacting. No. The Burbs. It's one hell of a neighborhood. Hey, honey. I think we should move. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo, and today I'm joined by... The non-murderous Kyle. <laughs> well, allegedly. Uh, today <laughs> is episode 110, uh, where we're talking about the burbs. The burbs. Which is a play on the suburb, yeah. uh, just known as the burbs. Mm-hmm. So, Kyle, before we get started, of course, I have a question for you, and it's probably a question that I'm not going to ask you... What do you think Tom Hanks' favorite movie is? Because that would be an easy way out. So I'm going to ask you this question. Um, after watching this movie, how would you have handled the neighbors? How do you mean I would handle the neighbors? Like, like if I was in his situation? How in I would his handle? situation, how would you have handled it? Would you have just called the cops right away? Would you have went all detective like these idiots tried to do? Uh, I think the answer is... I would never bother to notice. It's <laughs> a real answer. Such a homebody. Got my headphones because on. Because Kyle is the game. people yeah, in the I house. Am, I am the people in the house. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, he never comes out in the daytime. Like, yeah, it sounds like me. That's so good. That's so me. Uh, <laughs> the answer is I would never notice him because I'd be too busy thinking, like, why did I move to the burbs of all places? Why would I want to be here? Um, 
No, I have no idea how I'd handle it. I, I probably would just uh, wait for something really suspicious and then finally call the cops. I, I have no idea. How do you think you would handle it, Jimbo? I don't know, man. It's just, it's really weird. Um, like, I haven't heard, I haven't, I've never handled neighborly disputes at all, yeah. nor have I ever uh, suspected someone I don't even think I know my neighbors, well, I know my two neighbors now's name, but I'm just saying, I don't think I, I don't think I've ever been really that close to a neighbor to care. Or they've done anything suspicious to yeah. make me warrant that, yeah. you know what I mean? But, like, I live across the street from a house where some shady things have happened, <laughs> but, I mean, the cops got involved long before I even bothered to care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, so, yeah, this is a fun movie. This is Kyle's first time watching this movie, so I figured we better introduce him to the burbs because I think he'd get a kick out of it. So. I, I, and I did, I did. I'll tell you that much right now. <laughs> so, Kyle, let's go and take it away. All right, The Burb was released on February 17th in 19... 19- 89. Also released, I will get to it in a minute, Jim. I don't want you to forget also, this Also um, released under the name Life in the Burbs as well. So it had an alternate title when it first released in theaters. So, But it's settled on The Burbs as the name we know now for anyone buying a DVD, Blu-ray, or maybe there's a VHS tape somewhere with the Life in the Burbs title. I don't know. Um, but anyways, this was directed by Joe Dante, um, written by Dana Olson. Composed by Jerry Goldsmith, and cinematographer was Robert Stevens. Budget of the film was $18 million in 1989, which would be the equivalent of $43 million today. Opening weekend, it just brought in $11.1 million, which would be the equivalent of about $26.5 million. And then gross for just U.S. and Canada was $36.6 million, which would be worth about $87.5 million today. And then gross worldwide was $49.1 million, or just about one hundred seventeen million dollars in today's currency, so it made a it made a good good profit for its whole movie runtime and long times. And it came away all right. It didn't doom Tom Hanks' career as we know today. <laughs> um, let's see here. Moving forward, we have a generalized plot summary here. Uh, Tom Hanks plays a man taking a week long vacation um, at home, only to to um, begin being suspicious of his new neighbors along with his other neighbors um, trying to um, investigate whether or not their um, one neighbor is going to... Un- you know, if you were one of the neighbors, you'd have to be, what was it, Art? That would be you. He's always eating. Yeah. He just walks into the to the breakfast table oh and has God, a plate. So then he good. just I, goes to the, the refrigerator and takes the leftover. takes all the food. <laughs> and then when they break it into the house, they're like, hey, uh, well, well, let's start at the kitchen. Maybe he's got a beer in the fridge. <laughs> you know, he's just always thinking about well, food. Because I, I, I sent you the picture. It's like, this dude, he has French toast. He has baby back ribs. <laughs> he just took Tom's eggs. <laughs> like, this man is living the dream. And there was just a whole pineapple on the table he took out of the fridge, too. Right. That man was going to eat a treasure trove of food <laughs> and just sleep the rest of the day presumably after you get that food. <laughs> I'm just like this man is amazing it's like a real life Simpsons character it's <laughs> great I enjoy this Kyle enjoy this in real life. life he's got Kyle in real life like, god if I could eat that one day and just sleep the rest of the day like yeah <laughs> this was an indulgent day um, <laughs> yeah but uh, quite a movie basically yeah but him and his neighbors begin investigating we're not their uh, one neighbor they're suspicious of is up to uh uh, immoral deeds. 
you know, what is he doing in the basement of all the electricity and stuff like that, too? Okay, uh, more trivia. Uh, not trivia. Not that's, not that's Jimbo's role. We have technical details here. This is a color film. Uh, runtime of 102 minutes. And an aspect ratio of 1.85 by 1. Then we're going to move on here to the... Uh, let's see here. I've done technical details, plot summary, and synopsis. Done that stuff. Okay. Oh, awards. It was only nominated for one award in 19 nominee. In 19 nominee. 1990, <laughs> where it was nominated for the Best Young Actor Starring in a Motion Picture um, to Corey Danziger. And that was for the Young Artist Awards in 19 nominee. As I said, said award. 19 nominee. <laughs> Uh, moving on to the cast here, I'll just start with uh, Corey Danziger real quick. Uh, he was actually playing, I believe it was uh, Nick Peterson, um, who was Ray Peterson's son, played by Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, of course, plays Raleigh Peterson. Um, Tom Hanks needs no introduction. He's been in such films as Forrest Gump in 1994, Saving Private Ryan in 98, Cast Away in 2000, and Big in 1988, and many, many more to come and uh, from past and everything. Tom Hanks, if you've seen a great movie, it was like a one in ten that thing you do. Yeah. Oh, uh, it was good. Guess if you can. You know, Elvis movie. Was yeah. Like, the, oh, yeah. The new Elvis movie where he, he plays a bad guy for like the first time in like 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Tom Hanks. Uh, the road to perdition. Oh, my. Everything he did is great. Yeah. Tom Hanks just like it's just a master class in acting. Uh, honestly, it, 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 it's kind of unfair to the rest of the world. <laughs> Every other actor is like, act, I wish I could be Tom Hanks. Um, next up, we have Carrie Fisher playing Carol Peterson. Carrie Fisher, of course, also a legendary actress on right in the Star Wars films from 1977 to 2017 or 2019, but even count the last one. Um, the Blues Brothers in 1980, and When Harry Met Sally in 1989. Carrie Fisher, of course, legendary actress on right as well. Many other films under her belt, as well as a script doctor for 20 years and all that kind of stuff. Just, yeah, this this film is kind of like a a, a subtly all star cast in many ways. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have Bruce Dern playing Mark. Rumsfeld, um, Bruce Stern can be um, probably most easily recognized in movies like um, the uh, the Hateful Eight in 2015. Uh, I think he was also in Django Unchained back in the early 2000s, and uh, the Peanut Butter Falcon in 2019. Oh, it was a great and, uh, he, movie. Yeah, yeah, and he was the um, the main antagonist in Down Periscope in 1996. Remember the Kelsey Grammer taking yeah. over submarine? So uh, Bruce Stern, also great actor himself. Then we got Corey Feldman, another great actor as well. Playing Ricky Butler, um, Corey Feldman was also in movies such as Stand by Me in 1986, The Lost Boys in 1987, and The Goonies in 1985. So awesome actor there. Then we got um, Rick DeCumman, um playing um, Art Weingarter. Um, uh, Rick Dekumen was also in ro- movies in The Groundhog Day in 1993, Blink Check in 1994, and Encino Man in 1992. <laughs> then we have Wendy Shaw playing Bonnie Rumsfeld. Um, she was in movies such as Inner Space in 1987, Batteries Not Included, also in 1987, and she plays Francine Smith in The American Dad Show from 2005 to ongoing to 2022. Then we have Harry Gensman playing Dr. Warner Klepek. Um, he was in such moments such as Nashville in 1975. He was also in Inner Space in 1987, and he was also in The Blues Brothers in 1980. And uh, most um, you know, recently covered in the podcast, he was on The Long Goodbye. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the year of that offhand. Yep. Then we have Theodore um, uh, uh, Gottlieb, Gottlieb playing Ruben Klopik. Um, he was in the movies such as The Last Unicorn in 1982, Nocturna in 1979, and Massage Parlor Murders in 1973. <laughs> it's a great title. Just That's all you need to know. Massage Parlor Murders. You know exactly what movie you're walking into there. <laughs> Next up, we have Courtney Gaines playing, uh, uh, Courtney, Courtney Gaines playing Hans Klopik. Um, they were in movies such as Back to the Future in 1985, 
Children of the Corn in 1984, and Can't Buy Me Love in 1987. Then on going here, we have Gail Gordon playing um, Walter Sesnick. They were in such movie, uh, such TV shows as Our Miss Brooks in 1952 to 1956. Here's Lucy in 1968 and 1974, and The Lucy Show in 1963 and 1968. Um, he was also uh, probably most famous for the Dennis the Menace role, which I was just bringing up to. Um, where Mr. He, Wilson. Mr. Wilson in Dennis the Menace Show. In the, uh, oh, I forgot, I forgot to write down the years. Oh, it's okay. But Dennis the Menace Show. You look it up. <laughs> and then we, we have Dick Miller playing Garbage Man number one. Um, he was in The Terminator in 1984 as the Punch-Out Guy. Um, he was also in Gremlins in 1984, the same year, um, playing the... Uh, the Neighbor. The, the Neighbor, yeah. The Neighbor with the, the, the tractor all the time. And The Howling in 1981. So Dick Miller, also a legendary actor. And loves to get such a small role in this film, but like it's Dick Miller. <laughs> and then last, early not least, we have Garbage Man number two being played by Robert Ricardo. Robert Ricardo, perhaps easily best known as the Doctor in the Star Trek Voyager show between 1995 Loved and it. 2001. Um, he was also also in Inner Space in 1987, and he was on the show China Beach in 1988 and 1991. Is Inner Space the one where they get injected into Martin Short's body? I believe so, but I'm not certain. It's been a long time. Sure. That's a funny one, too. Yeah, yeah. I remember Gilmo del Toro wanted to do a remake of that film, the one where they go into the body. I know we wanted to do that recently. We don't want no remakes, Kyle. We want new stuff. But I want del Toro movies always, even if they're remakes. He's going to make uh, that like he's gonna make that stop-motion um, uh, uh, the What's the name of the puppet boy, wooden boy? Pinocchio. Pinocchio, Pinocchio. yeah. <laughs> He's going to make that stop-motion Pinocchio movie, and it looks great. I'm excited for it. There's one that's been on so on Voodoo, a Pinocchio. It's a foreign film. It looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. I need. I want, I want to watch it. So Yeah. Yeah, but anyways, that's these. That is the case. Do we have uh, filming locations? Filming locations. Let me look it up for you, here, Jimbo. I got it right here for you. I believe it was just filmed in uh, uh, yeah, Universal Studios. Stage sets and the Colonial Street backlot of Universal Studios. So just this is a backlot, backlot California. Right. The, the interesting about this movie is I think they said not since is it Lifeboat? I want to say that it all takes place on the same set. Like they don't have to go anywhere. Yeah. There was talk of them when they do this movie where they have to follow them and go other places off set, but they thought. That it would take away from the integrity of the movie, so they decided just to keep it all right there about the nosy neighbors, you know. Yeah, yeah. It plus has like almost like a uh, the cabin fever mindset, but in the burbs, and I kind of like that idea. So like keeping it only in the the one location really does help with that kind of like that kind of right. feeling like everyone's trapped in this one place, obsessing over one thing, and they don't see the world outside around them. Yeah, so that's a really cool fact going on there. Yeah, that's just the uh, that's filming locations and the facts. Um, so. When Ray and Art break into Walter's house, a picture of Walter uh, and Lucille Ball is on the table. Ball and Go, uh, Gordon co-starred in the 1948 radio show My Favorite Husband and television shows The Lucy Show, Here's Lucy, and Life with Lucy. The Klopics named their Great Dane Landrew. Probably after Henry Landrew, a notorious French serial killer, which, <laughs> if you're up on your serial killers, that was probably a clue. Um, too bad they didn't put that together in the movie. That yeah, would have been a funny thing, too. They, yeah. He knows uh, all the murders personally. <laughs> right. Early in the movie, when Corey Danziger is eating breakfast, a box of gremlin cereal can be seen on the kitchen counter in the background. Yes, Kyle, it was a real cereal. The Gremlin cereal, yes, and there's also a Mr. T cereal. Is there ever, like they ever tried doing a cartoon of that show? I feel like they should. They should have done a Gremlins cartoon. It's someday. coming out. Oh yeah, they the, are. The that's right. They are making. It's, it's yeah. like a CGI thing I, in it. We we had this talk before. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I don't know. Uh, but Corey Feldman was also in Gremlins. So, mm-hmm. uh, in the Klopik basement, there is a sled with the name Rosebud, which is a reference to what movie, Kyle? Citizen Kane. That which we've covered on the podcast. Which, you know, you watch that movie, you have more questions than you do answers when you watch that movie. You know yeah, what I mean? There was so, no one there to hear Rosebud, for instance. Right. <laughs> Uh, prop master Mark Jameson was charged with making fake dog poo because the actors complained that they didn't want to step in the real thing. Whatever. You're getting paid money, do it. Uh, the mixture hey, included... Wait, you just make some brownies and you clump the, them together. The mixture I... included canned dog food and bean dip. It was loaded into <laughs> caulking tubes and squeezed out where needed. <laughs> oh my God. I think I'd rather just step in the real thing, you I, know what I, I mean? Th- at that point, yeah, it's like it's not much of an improvement. <laughs> I would think you just put some brownies and dish them up together and just draw it on the ground, like done. <laughs> you're gonna throw. You're, you're going on like a, a, a standard definition television. Did you anyways, notice? You know? Did you notice the thing when the dog does that? And uh, I think it's Bruce Stern's character comes out and he steps in it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you watch when he was walking across the street? He never let his heel touch where he stepped. It. He was always like hobbling with one leg <laughs> in the air. So you know? good. It's so good. Yeah. Um, at the very beginning of this uh, movie, when the camera starts to pan down, this is one thing that Kyle hit me up right away. He's like, this is amazing, because it goes mm-hmm. from the Universal logo, and it like Google Earth all the way down. down to the world. Right. And then it comes down in this amazingly detailed miniature, which I just, I was astounded by. And like, I was complaining to Jumbo, because I'm like, you know, today, it'd be cheaper and easier, and it would be the right decision to do, just to have a drone come down vertically, and then swoop around the neighborhood, and be the whole thing, and be just film it that way but that miniature was so good and looked so cool and amazing just to see how well someone made it that i almost got upset by that fact yeah. Yeah. but there's a street sign when it comes down it says mayfield place mayfield was the town where the cleavers lived and leave it to beaver uh this movie was filmed on the same lot and also the there's been many other tv and film shows uh that uh were shot on this back lot uh as uh the following desperate housewives uh, the Munsters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's Leave It to Beaver, of course. I, I, I would say this film, even though, like, even, like, too, like, it feels like a TV show blown up, like an old school kind of right. TV show blown up, like the 60s and something like that. Like, it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, really appreciate uh, There is uh, one family at the end of the street who are never seen until the end, and the occupants of the house between Walter and Rumsfeld. Their last name is Fennel, a reference to producer Michael Fennel, who, which is seen on the side of their Chevrolet Astro van as Fennel Plumbing. Uh, screenwriter Dana Olson uh, cameoed as a cop uh, in the movie. Also, she was they were she was inspired uh, by this movie by her own neighborhood, where uh, there was a family where they were hardly ever seen and they didn't take care of their lawn. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the trailer features music from Neil Simon's comedy Murder by Death. Have you seen Murder by Death? Murder by Death. Yes, I have. Starring Ali Guinness. Yes. Yeah, it's a good good movie. Excellent movie. I it's agree. okay. It's no clue. <laughs> uh, but nothing really is. Right. Yes, once again, we have a Michael Jackson reference. Michael Jackson's famed chimpanzee, Bubbles, was a frequent guest on the set. He was brought to set and taken care of by the animal wrangler that brought and handled the dogs on the set. Oh, that's really cool. Too bad Bubbles couldn't get a cameo. Huh? Yeah, I'm sure from our last podcast, I'm sure someone like tried to pin like, okay, what if the Burbs was a musical starring Michael Jackson? <laughs> <laughs> Living in the Burbs. <laughs> oh boy Ray shows Carol the book on satanic rituals the theory being the Klopiks have taken Walter for human sacrifice Carol says to Ray I wouldn't have missed this for the world a week 
in Jonestown, which is obviously a ghoulish reference to the Reverend Jim Jones and his religious cult, the People's Temple. Oh, gosh. Reverend Jones moved his followers to South America. Um, another thing that points you to the thing that you think they're Satanist is when the Klopik's house address is 669, when Ray and Art use the heavy door knocker on the door, the nine slides down, changing the Klopik's house number two. You guessed six, it. Six, 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 oh, six no. which is considered the mark of the beast in biblical terms. Walter's toy poodle, Queenie, uh, the white poodle that goes take a crap on the lawn, was played by the same dog that played Precious in, yes, The Silence of the the Lambs. lambs. Hello, Curries. The filming location of the Burbs was also set for another Tom Hanks film, Dragnet, for the character Connie Swell's house. I haven't watched Dragnet in forever. I was like, I need to check that out again. I don't know if I ever watched that. I I watched the TV show, but I don't think... I'm not saying it's good, but I'm saying it's worth it. (laughs) Uh, there's a shadow of a noose on the wall over Uncle Ruben's right shoulder when the neighbors first visit the Klopik's house. I noticed that, so that was pretty foreshadowing. Who doesn't have a noose in their house, though? It's not unusual. <laughs> uh, the music that plays when Lieutenant Mark Rumsfeld is introduced and throughout the movie is a variation of the main theme from Patton, which was also composed by Jerry Goldsmith. Cool. Jerry Goldsmith's been a, in a lot of films, too. I'd say not him. quite as good as John Williams, but... I'm sure he's got a lot under his belt too. I, I, I feel like, yeah, like, yeah, like John Williams has cast a shadow on Jerry Goldsmith on everybody. Yeah. Yeah, 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 on, yeah, on everyone, but also like, like, like he's kind of unsung. Of like, he's done a lot of great work in the industry for his entire career. I think we'll do a real talk of just the uh, music industry and movies. Uh, you know, breaking down John Williams, Jerry Goldsmith. You know, different uh, composers and, and what movies are already credited. They're all wow, and it's like it's it's astounding how many movies they've done. They've made like incredible soundtracks too, so memorable. Like, like, oh, wow. Like, right. It's amazing to think they all came from the same person to some degree. Right. Yeah. Um, although the painting at the beginning of the film depicts it taking place in Des Moines, Iowa, you know, when it comes down, mm-hmm. it's actually uh, pretty much filmed in the Chicago area, which oh. is like, why didn't they just drop it in there? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, in there. But, um, yeah. Because there's Illinois license, tra- uh, license plates on the garbage truck and et cetera, so you can easily see it's supposed to be in Chicago. Yeah. Or Illinois, yeah. Uh, in the scene at the Klopik's house, Bruce Dern is fascinated by one of Dr. Klopik's paintings, turning it upside down and then back again. That painting appeared in the opening sequence of an early episode of Rod Serling's Night Gallery. Uh, Jerry Goldsmith's score uh, being played during the fight scene in the ambulance car was reused in Gremlins 2, The New Batch, when the bat gremlin escapes the lab and flies around New York City. I love Gremlins 2. Yeah, Gremlins 2. I, it's, 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 a, it's a parody of the first movie in a way that I, just, I love so much. Right. You know. It's an uh, anti-sequel movie. I think that's what it is. Uh, Tom Hanks improvised the scene, which is probably one of my favorite scenes in this movie, where he picks up the gurney and he just throws himself into the ambulance, remember, yeah. face down. That's... And when he walks out of the house, dude, and he's got his eye like almost popped out of socket, you know, and he just he just looks oh, like he's having a bad day. Like you just seen the war, man. Yeah. Just... <laughs> uh, Vic the Garbage Man, as Kyle stated, was also in the Gremlins. So not only did Dick Miller, and then you had Corey uh, Feldman, and you also had Joe Don, uh, Dante, those three were the crossover uh, from Gremlins. Uh, this film was shot in sequence and was filmed during the writer's strike of 1988. This fil- uh, The film was rushed into production to avoid a Writer's Guild of America strike. Principal photography began the same day the strike went into effect, May 19, 1988. Although Dana Olson, the writer, appeared in the film, he was prohibited from contributing anything to the script while on set. For this reason, Joe Dante encouraged the actors to improvise many scenes. Oh, wow. One example was the moment when Rumsfeld rips the Klopex wallpaper, an ideal from Bruce Stern. 
Rick Decoman uh, ad-libbed many of his lines, including the Satan is good, Satan is our pal dialogue. And Tom Hanks and Carrie Fisher came up with the idea of playing along with the Jeopardy at home. So um, I guess they weren't allowed to change anything to the script, but they could ad-lib, you know what I mean? Yeah. Without yeah, being yeah. told what to do because of the strike. Yeah, because you couldn't have any input at all, you know he was on the film. That's yeah, interesting, the little politics around there. Right. You know. According to Joe Dante, Tom Hanks was hesitant to do the movie because it was the first time he was playing a dad. Hanks was concerned that this would prevent him from returning to the types of roles on which he had built his career up to that point, but Dante said Hanks was willing to go along with it. Which, Tom, I think you made the right choice because your career took off after this, like, unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think regardless of this film, his career would have been gone right. great. Because, like, it's kind of, like, nonsensical how much, like, Tom Hanks has been in so many well, amazing Well, Bosom Buddies, man. That, that yeah. TV show where they dressed him and I can't remember his name, dressed up like girls to be in that dorm. Mm-hmm. It's a good TV show. Yeah, it's a good TV show. And just so many things were just like, really? You had this? In, it, 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 his career doesn't make sense from the outside looking in. Like, he had all these amazing roles. Right. Back. Yeah. Uh, when they break into Walter's house after going through the garbage, Art is seen wearing two <laughs> wristwatches. Um. The, by the way, that painting that the Clopix said, remember when Bruce is turning it upside down and all that in mm. different ways? It's actually a depiction of surgery from the point of the view of the patient. I thought I seen like an IV there, you know what I mean, when I was watching it. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. that's a dark thing. Yeah. yeah. What, 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 very weird art to keep it at home. <laughs> uh, oddly enough. Weird art to keep anywhere. Oddly enough, when art falls off the telephone pole and onto the shed, the sound effect that plays is that of a bowling ball knocking a strike. <laughs> Steer, right? Yeah, it's, it's weird that it just made sense to me when I saw it, though. I didn't right. even think about it. <laughs> uh, Tom Hanks and Rick uh, Ducumin really didn't get along during filming, according to Joe, Don- John- Joe Dante, but Hanks was a professional and kept it loose. Uh, Corey Feldman was called in to meet with Joe Dante for the part of Ricky Butler at the Universal lot in his office. He had long black hair and wasn't exactly dressed for a meeting, which was due to the fact that he just came back from North Carolina after having wrapped filming on Dream a Little Dream. When he stepped into Dante's office, where Dante and his producer Michael Finnell, as well as casting contingent, were all very quiet and stated, uh, he said, I'm looking for Joe Dante. Feldman apologized to Dante for his appearance, and Dante immediately told him, that's it. That is what I had in mind for the character, and Feldman was elated to hear it. <laughs> that's great. Uh, <laughs> weird. Uh, this movie this movie feels like a giant, like, just a gang of friends having weird fun together. Yeah. Like, it's, it's so weird, right? Uh, the house where Ricky Butler lives which, uh, is the same as where The Munsters was filmed, and the house where Tom Hanks and Carrie Fisher lived was also used for Leave it to Beaver. Most of the houses on the block where the film takes place were on featured TV shows, of course, Desperate ha- uh, Housewives being the latest. Uh, Carrie Fisher actually wore a wig that was pretty similar to her own hairdo, so in between takes, she would take it off, and the cast couldn't tell the difference. <laughs> but I'm sure they still insisted every time she put the wig back on, too. Or did she just... She put the wig on, you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, during the scene where Hans brings the garbage bags inside the uh, to the inside the uh, cans, he kept just kept banging them until he got angry and went with it, which ended up in the final cut. <laughs> just get in her. Henry Gibson was not the first choice for Doctor Kopeck due to his charming personality and diminutive stature. Director Joe Dante had worked with him on Inner Space and loved his work. And he had remembered his menacing portrayal of the uh, doctor in Robert Altman's A Long Goodbye, which convinced him that he was the right choice for the role, stating that 
he had something evil in him. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He has the capacity just to nail it. And we're like, you know, simply in Long Goodbye, we mentioned like he's like he's a tiny man, and he goes up like that six foot writer and just basically slaps him in the face. Yeah, like he can do that, and like because he thought he could, he can. Uh, yeah, it's just there's no limits on him. <laughs> uh, Corey Feldman had been going through some personal turmoil during filming, and eventually uh, stated that he'd crashed and burned. He had struggled to hang on to what was driving him as an actor. Director Joe Dante and both Wendy Schlaw and Carrie Fisher acted as counselors during the filming to help him from getting into trouble. Oh wow, yeah, that's 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 a good story of you know group support, <laughs> right? Carrie Fisher, so nice, right? Um, and we all know, you know, I've read her book, The Princess Diaries. Um, she had her own addiction struggles, so it's good to have somebody that's been through it before to probably yeah, help him along. Supportive, helpful person. Right. Carrie Fisher, just a queen. <laughs> um, a princess. Wendy Shaw, who does the voice of Francine Smith on American Dad, had personally stated that she get, got the job on the show because the show's creator, Seth MacFarlane, is a huge fan of this film. Everyone in the cast and crew had a good time working on the film, so much that Tom Hanks personally brought everyone sunglasses and left a personal thank you note to everyone uh, in the cast and the crew. Except for... <laughs> This is so mean. Tom Cruise, uh, or sorry, Tom Cruise. Wow, that'd be a really different movie. That would be uh, Tom Hanks was very confused about Wendy Shaw's performance in the film, according to her. She also said that the note he wrote her when he gave her the, a gift of sunglasses, he wrote, I still don't get what you were doing. It's great. It was it was great working with you. That is the most just sincere. Oh god. Hey, so yeah, I don't know what you're doing, but hey, it was fun working with you. You're such a nice person. I don't understand you at all. Here's some sunglasses for the shade I'm about to throw on you. So good. Uh, production designer James H. Spencer and his crew had worked seven day uh, work weeks to get the houses to look like they did in the film. The Klopix house was the most time consuming due to its dilapidated state. Uh, this film uh, received the worst reviews of any film released in 1989, according to many who worked on the film, which includes uh, the director, editor, and co-stars, uh, but was a box office success and now is deemed a cult classic. Uh, due to the writer strike, director Joe Dante could not have uh, actor or writer Dane Olsen to consult or do any rewrites on the screenplay on a daily basis. Pretty much most of this movie was improvised and ad-libbed. Dante did eventually find a way for Olsen to be on set and hired him as an actor so that he would uh, consult him indirectly without violating the writer's guild's rules. <laughs> so there's that little sneaky, sneaky... You know, I, I, I'm not against going... I, hey, I, you want to go out to get some dinner? Yeah, wait, yeah, wait. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I am not for going around a union, but that is clever, and it did end up making a pretty good movie, so... Well, there was Whatever a writer's strike on the Universal lot. The daily tour of the Universal backlot was still taking place throughout the filming of this movie, and Fetch, uh, Fletch lives not far away. Every time the tour was about to pass through the set, filming was stopped so that the tour could pass quickly and continue filming soon thereafter. This happened pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. That's great. I love it. Everything about this movie just this is just reeks in hilarity. I know. Like uh, the making of this movie is probably just as funny as the movie itself, you know, if it existed. You know? According to many of the cast and crew, they felt that the Universal logo that opens the film was the coolest thing about this film since it was unique and different. Which obviously goes all right away. Completely, I get that without even knowing it. <laughs> yeah, like uh, the beginning was just like, yeah, this is awesome. Uh, during filming on the set, there was a voice in the distance that was yelling, "Help!" This was because the set was close to Jaws Ride at Universal Studios, and this voice was played loudly on the PA system in the distance. According to director Joe Dante, you could literally hear it during some scenes in the movie, which he said had a little more looseness to the film. (laughs) Wow. Uh, The television station interviewing art is WDHB. It's also the television station used in Gremlins. 
So it's safe to say that the Burbs and Gremlins are in the same universe. A lot of this was very intentional, apparently. Yeah. Uh, during the scene where Art, Rumsfeld, and Ray tear through the garbage in the street as it's being picked up, one of the garbage men, which is Robert Ricardo, argues with the other one, Dick Miller, over when garbage becomes public domain, citing the city curb clause. However, as the garbage was already in the truck, it is legally the city's property. <laughs> I love that. Oh, well, I love it. It's like, you know, like, like Dick Miller. Like, it's like, it's like, I don't care. Just get him out of here. Right. And Robert Cobb's like, no, no, no. This is the law. It's, it's like, you're, it's they're comedy, both man. arguing the wrong points, and I love it. It's so good. Um, yeah. In one scene, Ray is watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Tom Hanks would eventually play Fred Rogers in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Yeah. And what I it, think they're related. Somehow. That was such a really, like, a crazy dark scene for that whole movie, too, where he sits down and you watch, like, the girl being sacrificed to Satan. Oh, yeah, like, oh, he, he has a Daydream, or and they censored the they censored the press in the scene, and they have another scene where like it's the is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre scene where he breaks into the room, and then funny he wake he has a terrible nightmare, which I love the prop work in that thing where the chainsaw goes through the wall and yeah. so scares Tom Hanks, and then he just wakes up to it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. <laughs> So crazy. Both Carrie Fisher um, and Wendy Schlaw supplied voice work in Seth MacFarlane projects. Carrie was the voice of Angela, Peter's former boss, Family Guy, and of course, as we stated, Wendy is Francine Stan's wife in American Dad. Um, let's see here. Oh, here you go. In the scene right before Ray's nightmare sequence, he channel surfs through three horror movies. The movies in order are Race with the Devil, The Exorcist, and The Texas Chainsaw oh, sorry, Massacre there too. Two. Yeah. Nikki Cat, uh, who played Steve Cunts uh, in the film which was the guy with the mullet who had on the Skull, Skull Skates t-shirt, had a pet spider monkey. Corey Feldman learned this and told him, oh my God, I love monkeys. I would love to have my own monkey. I want a monkey. And Cat replied, dude, I'm going to be honest with you. They're a real pain. To prove his point, Cat brought his monkey to the set and it stayed in Feldman's trailer during filming. Feldman would return to his trailer to find that the monkey had spread feces around the interior. Joe Dante eventually banned the monkey from the set. <laughs> but yeah, Bubbles could come. Yeah. Well, bubble, well, bubbles bubbles had, wore a diaper. Bubbles had a trainee around of all times, too, a Wrangler. No, but he was the it was the, <laughs> it was the one that with the animals well, yeah. in this, right? Michael Jackson's Bubbles, yeah. Michael Jackson. What, Michael, Michael, Jack, Michael Jackson's pet monkey came with the Wrangler. You mentioned that in the notes. Is no, that, no, no, I bubbles? said that it, Bubbles was watched after the Wrangler for this film. Oh, so. okay. Yeah, all right. A great example of foreshadowing after they find the femur, Carol says, before anyone falls off a roof or sets themselves on fire. Later in the movie, Rumsfeld falls off a roof and Ray sets himself on fire. fire. Uh, Tom Hanks is reading a book about demons written by Julie Carswell. This is the name of a character who conjures a demon in the 1957 film Night of the Demon, played by Neil McGannis. A major subplot that was not explained in the film and only featured in the film's work prints version is the reason why Ray Peterson is on vacation. After the events and the arrest of the Clopix, Carol walks with Ray where he has a confession. She immediately interrupts him, stating that he'd been fired from his job. To his surprise that she had known all this time and didn't say anything. However, some elements, uh, elements of this are still evident in the final cut of the film in which Carol states that he's stressed and he would go back to work in worse shape than he was already staying up late to spy on the Clopex with Rumsfeld and Art. And in particular, the third and final ending where he says he's going on vacation to Corey Feldman for another week, which he seems odd since he was already on vacation to begin with. 
Ah, so okay. that kind of makes sense now. That, you that know does I mean? make more sense, uh, you know, because like you know, like it's unusual to take a vacation for home. That's like the idea. Like for me, taking a vacation and staying home sounds fine. But for a lot of people, like you just went on vacation and you stayed home the entire week. That's called a staycation. Kyle. That is a stay. I know for it's poor called people a staycation. Like me. Yes, it's, it's same same thing with me. But still, you think modern suburbia lifestyle? Like oh, you went on vacation. You went to Hawaii for a week. But like for me, it's like no, I stayed home and I didn't work. That was my vacation. Right. <laughs> I didn't feel physically exhausted when I came home it was great <laughs> uh the film was originally supposed to open and end with the theme from mr rogers neighborhood that would have been awesome if they played that, that as a zoom amazing down. and the, the way that would have came full circle in his career crazy but that was before jerry goldsmith came on board and wrote his completely original score for the film which is also good you do hear it when tom hanks is watching the tv show on his tv after his nightmare from the night before while drinking orange juice this is still intact in Joe Dante's work print version of the film, which is on the newly remastered Shout Factory Blu-ray, Kyle. Which is what I watched for this podcast. a boy. Yeah. Uh, the line that Corey Feldman says at the end of the film was not in the original script. The director Joe Dante came up with the line, God, I love this street. During the reshoots after the writer strike had ended and the final 20 minutes of the film had to be completely reshot and virtually eliminated Feldman's character. Dante broke the news to him and he told him to say the line and that it would work out. Feldman admits now that Dante was right, as it is the line that his fans and fans of the film mention to him when they see him when Ray and Art break into Walter's house. A picture of Walter, Gil Gordon, I think this is the one I've already said. Yeah, that was uh, that was oh. added onto here. So Double notes. This Surprise, thing, man, my guys. printer is, maybe my printer is from the Burbs, I don't know. Exactly. Uh, this film was intended originally going to be intended to be a spoof of the movie Rear Window, uh, and there's oh, one scene yeah. that depicts the homage homage during the rainstorm where Tom Hanks is looking at the Klopex digging three holes in their backyard. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah that makes sense. All right, yeah, I was I was thinking about like Disturbia and uh, what was oh yeah, it was Rear Window? That was yeah. Too, yeah. When Ray leaves the basement after the explosion, you can see a rope pulled by a crew member to cause the awning to collapse. So, Kyle, since this was your first viewing of The Burbs, what's your thoughts, feelings? <laughs> yeah, as like, it's, it's like, I watched the film and I actually really liked it. I thought it was really good. After doing this podcast, I feel even more just like I really I love how joyfully, joy, joyful, jovial this whole film and production was for the most part. Like, it sounds like it was a crazy film to make and enjoy making. And I love all the fun facts that went on to, like, this film's legacy. Obviously, being one of Tom Hanks' earlier roles kind of makes it exciting, too. So, the more I think about the film, the more I, I really like it. Almost for John Lovett, where I'm probably going to watch this a couple more times in my life, at least. And uh, really just kind of get a, a nice little kick out of it. It's a good, like, layback and just let the madness ensue and just enjoy how ridiculous it is. And I really do appreciate <laughs> that a lot. So, overall, I'm saying this is a very good film. Well worth watching, especially if you're a Tom Hanks fan or just a movie fan in general. Oh, yeah. It's a great movie. Yeah. Uh, I like how... I like how when a director directs a movie and they add stuff from another movie like Gremlins where you know they have the same news people you know and yeah. I just think it's pretty well done um, Carrie Fisher uh, probably most notably known for Princess Leia um, man she did a really good job in this film too um, there's a like Dick Miller man I know I had seen him somewhere and I was like man this driving me crazy I know I've seen him recently mm-hmm. and I couldn't remember what he was in um, but he's been in a lot of stuff. A lot of these people are uh, characters from television shows, movies. You've seen them. It's the uncanny character thing, right? Like you've seen like a dozen films that you don't remember them being in. You I, know, I, I like I like this movie because, especially the ending of this movie, when uh, the doctor hops in the ambulance and uh, the the kids driving the ambulance or whatever you know, and they're fighting on the gurney, and then 
they crash and then the gurney flies out the back and yeah. he's trying to stab him with the syringe and all that and then oh it's like his wife finally comes back he's like your wife's back also your house is on fire yeah, that's art that's art yeah <laughs> so good but you know the only reason they got caught because they thought that the doctor was a respectable doctor is that that gurney when it hits the car it pops open the trunk or whatever mm-hmm. and in the trunk you find like the, 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 the dead three. well they were supposed to be the dead bodies of cheerleaders and the two garbage men from earlier in the film they were going to kill them off and you know i mean mm-hmm. that was going to be them um funny funny plot great chemistry between even though they might not have liked each other but great chemistry with all them uh the art uh was yeah. ray and yeah. uh well, even like it's like it's like they, they didn't work well together it doesn't mean they weren't nice to each other right. like off or off books i know like there's other stuff like where characters <laughs> but like, i mean it, actors hate working together but when they're off the set it's like oh wait we're actually nice people it's okay <laughs> right but this movie just worked to it's funny because it works together in so many you know I yeah, mean, yeah. it intertwines so well um it's even and it's really amazing that at the time of the writer strike that this came out as good as it did uh, especially mm-hmm. ad-libbing a lot, bunch of lines and all that um and still have the story flow the way that it did it was really good and well indeed like i feel like the um the writer strike specifically in this case like it it, it forced a looseness in the production that i think actually added to the film because he had so much ad-libbing and all kind of stuff like too like there were so many kind of like looser things you could do the film to take it like less seriously than it would have been taken necessarily if they had like full writers on there trying to keep the plot now, seriously like, now do you think that um once the strike was over do you think that the writer had the opportunity to go back and watch the footage and change anything that he would have wanted to? Uh, I'd have to look at the dates of like the production and the actual strike itself. We don't, I don't have the research on the strike itself, so I don't know how. Right. That's an interesting down. point, too, because I've never really thought about that either. Because, you know, once it was over, they said that they had to reshoot the whole end of the film, remember? Yeah, so... so it- very much likely I'm sure there was like a final pass on like making sure this is good this is stuff like that but like like it probably would have been a similar film regardless if like the writer strike hadn't you know finished by the time the production finished or like maybe they would have waited till the, the strike was finished to finish that the last thing like okay we started we stopped all the filming but like hey when the strike's finished we'll do a final like editing pass on it and that could wait like six months or a year because you know lots of, lots of studios will film a movie then put it on the shelf for a year then release it you know sometime later so it could have ended up like that regardless of the same film so uh, it could have worked out any kind of way and I think that's okay so, right but so yeah definitely uh, check it out give it give it a shot especially if you're a Tom Hanks fan um, you can tell you know his acting is just top notch again yeah it's 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 classic Tom Hanks <laughs> yeah so as usual if you want to follow us on Facebook. Tragedy of Cinema Podcast. Uh, if you want to email us at thetragedyofcinema at gmail.com. Um, if you want to leave us a review. Um, if you want to make fun of Kyle, um, you can go on the Facebook group and yeah, do that. Yeah, always and forever. Make fun of Kyle. Um, also, next week, um, <laughs> we are going to dive in probably to my personal favorite horror movie uh, that has been traumatizing me since I was a young lad. Um, my favorite character is Jason Voorhees. That's that's well known, but probably my favorite horror movie uh, besides the Universal Monsters uh, that came out was the original Fog. So I think next week we're going to cover the Fog, and then after that, I do believe we are doing a uh, lighthearted uh, movie starring Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder in Stir Crazy. So giving you a couple of movies ahead out that you guys can uh, look forward to maybe watch and be ready for so yeah but i think this episode's coming to a close kyle what do you think you got anything to say i think i'm excited for the next few weeks and when i have to make a tiktok finally and that'll be good stuff okay i'm gonna hold you to it yep. and that's a wrap and cut